have everybody here from far and wide. This is the power of, um, really the power of, um, of technology to bring us all together, no matter where we are in the comfort of our own spaces, you know, whether far or near. So cool. All right, so let's jump in. We have a new Torah portion this week, as we do every week. There's a new Torah portion. Keeps us on our toes. This week's Torah portion is Chukat, and it is some some years it's a double portion. This year it's just the single portion. Sometimes it's Chukat and Balak together. This year it's just Chukat, which gives us plenty to talk about. One of the main features of this week's Torah portion is the the laws pertaining to the red heifer, the red cow that was used as a, uh, as, a, as a rite of purification for someone that came in contact with a dead body. So let's talk about this. We'll learn it inside. There's a lot of symbolism, of course, as, as you know by now, a lot of symbolism in Torah and a lot of um, powerful lessons that we can take in our lives. So I'm going to share my screen with you and let's jump in. Okay, here we go. Torah reading for Chukat. Oh, so the goal today would be to cover the first and second readings, because of course today's Monday, we didn't do yesterday, so we'll try to get one and two in. Okay, so this is Numbers chapter 19, verse number one. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the Torah. If you want to know what is like the ultimate statute of the Torah, this is it. Statute in Hebrew is chukat, chukat or chok. That is a mitzvah that transcends logic or defies reason. Something that we cannot explain. Something that is a mitzvah because it's a mitzvah. That's all we we know is what we were told to do. Why? How it works remains a mystery. So the Torah says this is the statute of the Torah. This is the ultimate example of or... or, um, the ultimate form of this mitzvah that defies logic, which the Lord commanded. It's basically based on God's command, saying, here here it is, Speak to the children of Israel and have them take for you a perfectly red, unblemished cow, upon which no yoke was laid. In other words, this cow had to have been never used in the field, on the farm, never worked a day in its life. It has to be an unworked red have for perfectly unblemished. By the way, perfectly red means even if it has two black hairs, like it's completely red, two black hairs renders it not a perfectly red unblemished cow. It's not perfectly red. One hair, fine. One other colored hair, okay, you you can get away with that. But two, it's not perfectly red. You know there are people in Texas and whatnot that are trying to raise red heifers. You know, you know about this? It's like a Christian thing that also gets involved with like, you know, Old Testament and Torah and that sort of thing. You know, Messianic stuff, whatever. Anyway, I'm not, I, I'm not commenting on that. I don't know what's, uh, what's on the farm or what the, what the deal is. But once in a while it comes up in the news. At least in the news that I read. Um, you know, all the red heifer websites that are out there. I'm kidding about that. Okay, back to our story about the, uh, the red heifer. So you take this cow, upon which no yoke was laid, it's unblemished, it's perfectly red, 
and you shall give it to Elazar the Kohen, he was of course the deputy high priest, and he shall take it outside the camp and slaughter it in his presence. Okay. Now Elazar the Kohen shall take from its blood with his finger and sprinkle it toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. The cow shall, shall then be burned in his presence, its hide, its flesh, its blood, with its dung, he shall burn it, completely burnt. Now, so now you have a red heifer that was slaughtered, the blood was sprinkled, and then it's burned. That's alive? No, 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 no. It was slaughtered already, right? It was first shechted. It was first slaughtered. Oh, good. That, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's still killed. I don't know. I mean, it's still not, it's still not pleasant for the cow. Let's just put it that way. None of this is, none of this would be PETA friendly. Let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. None of this is going to win any, um, you know, awards on, you know, from, from, from the, from the, from, from that group. So it, you take the cow, this red cow, you slaughter it, you take the blood and you sprinkle it toward the tent of meeting seven times. You then burn the cow in totality. The hide, the flesh, the blood, the dung, everything is burned. Okay. By the way, if you're wondering, like, so bizarre, what's the point? Yeah, I already told you. It's called the statute of the Torah, which the Lord commanded. This is not going to make sense. Although I will give you symbolism, but it's, it's still, it's, it's, the mitzvah, it's a mitzvah that we do because God said if we were writing the laws, we would probably not come up with this one. This is an example of a chok, a law that, that transcends, defies, challenges our logical um, reason. Let's continue. Um, okay, so now, now what you do. Here you go. Next step, for, uh, verse 6. The Kohen, the priest, shall take a piece of cedar wood, cedar wood hyssop, and crimson wool. And cast them into the burning of the cow. So you take these items and you throw them in while the cow is burning. Not alive. Okay. The Kohen shall wash his garments and bathe his flesh in water. Basically go to the mikvah. And then he may enter the Kohen who prepared. The Kohen who, did, who prepared the animal for this ritual, which we'll talk about in a moment, becomes impure. That's the, that's the implication, right? He has to wash his garments and then bathe his flesh in water. And then he may enter the camp and the Kohen shall be unclean until the evening. Unclean means not physically, but spiritually, he is ritually impure. So the one preparing the red heifer becomes impure. Very important, even though, as we'll see soon, the red heifer was prepared to purify someone else. So the red heifer is prepared to purify someone else, but the one who's preparing it becomes impure in that process. Are you with me on that? Yes? Sort of? Okay. Let's continue. The one who burns it. So the one who prepares it is, is, becomes unclean, impure. The one who burns it also shall wash his clothes in water and cleanse his body in water and he shall be unclean until evening. He also becomes tame. He also becomes unclean. So both the Kohen that prepares this whole thing and the one who burns the animal, they all become impure. A ritually clean person shall gather the cow's ashes and place them outside the camp in a clean place. And it shall be for a keepsake for the children, congregation of the children of Israel for sprinkling water used for cleansing. So this is 
going to be used, the ashes of this red heifer, which were burned along with, don't forget, the cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson wool. So these ashes, this ash, is mixed, as we'll see soon, with water. And it will be used for cleaning, for cleansing, which is ritual cleansing. The one who gathers the cow's ashes shall also wash his, garment, his clothes, and he shall be unclean until evening. It shall be an everlasting statue for the children of Israel and for the proselyte who resides in their midst. In other words, all of the participants, all of the individuals who are involved in preparing the ashes of the red heifer for the purification ritual become themselves impure, but not to the level of impurity that would require another red heifer's ashes, which would create an infinite loop of impurity. Are you with me on that? There are different levels of impurity. So there's some impurity that can be resolved by going to mikvah. Some impurity requires the red heifer. So if you, and what is that? The Torah is about to tell us. Verse 11. Anyone touching the corpse of a human soul shall become unclean for seven days. This is going to be the one and only circumstance in which you need the red heifer's ashes mixed with water in order to purify. Everything else can be resolved with time and with a mikvah, with immersing a body, the body in a mikvah, in a ritual bath. But when one comes in contact with the corpse of a human soul, basically a dead body, just to be very clear what we're talking about here, when one comes in immediate contact, if one touches the corpse, or touches the coffin of a corpse, or is under the roof of a home or building in which there is a dead body, a dead human body, one becomes impure to the highest level of impurity which requires to get out of it the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water as we'll see now on the third so the person who touches the corpse shall become unclean for seven days on the third and seventh days he shall cleanse himself with it so that he can become clean so he's sprinkled with the, the water, ash, ash water, the, this mixture of the red heifer on the third and seventh days. And that helps that he should become clean. But if he does not sprinkle himself with it on the third and seventh days, he shall not become clean. Whoever touches the corpse of a human soul which dies and does not cleanse himself, if the person says, I'm not going to bother with this whole red heifer ritual. I'm not going to bother with this mixture with the ashes and the water. Who needs it? So that person, that person, if they would go to the temple, has the, he has defiled the Mishkan of the Lord. If he would go to the temple in that state of impurity, it would be a bad thing. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Remember, if a, per, if a person is impure, they cannot go to sacred spaces. Sacred place, which is why today most people, most Jews, will not step onto the Temple Mount. Why? Because we're all in a state of ritual impurity. We've all come in contact with death, and we've never had a red heifer. We've never had the, 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 the ashes sprinkled with water of the red heifer. So we're in a state of impurity. And Halacha says, Yushla says, that the holiness of the Temple remains on that, on that area of the Temple Mount. So the area is still holy. We are impure. There's no red heifer. So we're not allowed to go. According to, according to Torah law, we ought not go to the Temple Mount. Now, I know people go. 
I would say by and large it's because people are not, are not yet familiar with the details of the law. But when you know, so you know to uh, stay, stay back a little bit. Now, can you go to the Western Wall? Absolutely. Because where the Western Wall is, on, that, on the side of the Western Wall where everyone stands and prays, is outside the retaining wall of Jerusalem in the temple, and that is the retaining wall of the temple, and that is absolutely fine to, uh, to stand and pray. You don't have to be in a state of ritual purity. But if you want to go inside or, or on top of those sacred spaces, the sacred temple spaces, well, you see it right here. You have to be in a state of ritual purity. And how do you get pure? So sometimes you can just go to mikvah. But if you've come in contact with a dead body and anyone who's visited a hospital has, because if you've been in a hospital, it's almost guaranteed that at some point there was a dead body in the hospital, even if it's in the basement, right? In the hospital, you know, where they in the, I don't know if they call it a morgue, but, you know, there's a dead body in the hospital. Okay, and you're under the roof. Even if you're driving on the, um, the Jackie Robinson, you know the Jackie Robinson Parkway or, yes, in New York City? No, on the way to Queens from Brooklyn? Yeah, I think it's called the Jackie Robinson. Maybe not. That's what we always called it. Anyway, bottom line is there is a cemetery on the side. the BQE. There's also the BQE. There's also the BQE. Different. Different. Okay. Different. Anyway, this one is, is, one, of the, one, is one way to go to, uh, from Brooklyn to Queens. But there is a cemetery on the side of the road. And there are trees. that Big trees that the branches go over the cemetery. And the same tree covers the roadway. In Jewish law, if you're under a tree that covers a cemetery you become ritually impure. So if you're driving on that road, again, I'm not giving a definite psak halach, I'm not giving you a, a definitive Jewish legal ruling, but it's very likely that even driving or walking, if you could walk over there, I don't know if you can walk, might render a person in a state of ritual impurity. My point is that everyone is, is presumed to be in a state of the most severe state of ritual impurity, i.e. coming in contact with a dead body, which requires the red heifer ashes sprinkling process to be cleansed until one goes to the space of the temple. Okay, this is the law. Verse 14. This is the law. If a man dies in a tent, anyone entering the tent, right? Anyone entering that space of the tent, and anything in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. Any open vessel which has no seal fastened around it becomes unclean. Anyone who touches one slain by the sword or a corpse or a human bone or a grave in an open field, he shall be unclean for seven days. They shall take for that, per for that unclean person from the ashes of the burnt purification offering, which is this red heifer, and it shall be placed in a vessel filled with spring water. So you take the ashes from the red heifer that was slaughtered and then burned with the crimson, the hyssop, and the wool, the, the, the cedar, the hyssop, and the crimson wool that were burned together with the red heifer. You take the ashes and you place it into a vessel that has in it spring water, fresh, living water from a, water from a living spring. You, spring, you mix the, the, the ashes with the water and you sprinkle it on the person, as we said before, on the third and seventh days. And after seven days, they become once again, 
purified. Now, I just want to tie up some loose ends. I, we're going to continue on to the second reading. I want to share. I want to tie up some loose ends, give you the halacha of it, like the basic understanding of the laws, and then get to some, um, some themes of this. So just to tie up some loose ends. We said before that the people who prepared the red heifer, the, the one who slaughtered it, the one who burned it, the one who collected the ashes, right? All those kohanim, priests that were involved in the preparation of this red heifer ashes mixture for purification become themselves impure, but not on the level of impurity that would require a red heifer because that happens when you come in contact with a dead body. And what did they come in contact with? A sacrificed animal, a burnt animal. So their purification, as the Torah said, they are only impure for, they, they need to wash their clothes they're impure until evening, one, night, one day, and then they go to mikvah. Well, there's a better verse here that, that, that clarifies. Let's see. Yeah. Wash his garments, bathe his flesh in water, mikvah, and then wait until evening, and then you become pure. So, again, there are different levels of impurity. Some impurity is knocked out in a day in a mikvah. Some require seven days with red heifer or ash sprinkling. The one who prepares the red heifer... Sprinkling becomes impure for one day, but does not require the, uh, the red heifer. Otherwise, it would be an infinite mirror loop of people always being impure and needing the red heifer and then becoming impure and needing the red heifer, and it would never end. But that's not what we're saying. It's, it just requires mikvah, cleaning the clothes, washing the clothes, and waiting until, the, until that evening. Okay, let's jump into the second reading. I hope that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes? Yes-ish? Yes? Is everyone what? Impure, literally impure. Today, everyone, yeah, for sure everyone's impure today. I mean, we can go to mikvah and become purified for a day, you know, for that day, but pretty soon we're going to become impure again because of just what we come in contact with. You know, it, that's just the nature of things. So back in the day when there was a temple, it was very, you know, you had to be very careful because of where you go and what you're eating and all that stuff. Um, especially if you were a Kohen or Levi, obviously it would be very, very important. Um, but today, yeah, we're presumed to be impure, but we still go to mikvah. But when it comes to red heifer, we don't have a red heifer. You can't do a red heifer without the temple. So the, the most severe state of impurity, we're all presumed to have that impurity, and that's it. Now, do we still go to mikvah to take away other lesser impurities? Sure. But there's still this overriding, if you will, um, human uh, contact with human death and purity that requires a red heifer. By the way, Rambam, Maimonides writes that there were nine red heifers prepared in ancient times. And the tenth, when Mashiach comes. Because everyone's going to need, you have to really spread that, that mixture thin to get everybody. But everyone's going to need some red heifer action. Okay, let's continue. Verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 18. And here we have the actual process by which the person is applied the red heifer, ashes, water mixture. A ritually clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it into the water and sprinkle it on the tent and all the vessels and on the people who were in it and on anyone who touched the bone, the slain person, the corpse, or the grave. The ritually clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean person on the third day. And on the seventh day, which we said before, and he shall cleanse him on the seventh day. 
and he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water. There's also mikveh involved in day seven. And finally, after all of this, he shall become richly clean in the evening. So it's a, it's a pretty involved process. If a person comes in contact with a dead body, they need to get the red heifer going, third and seventh day sprinkling, then on the seventh day, wash the clothes, go to mikveh, and wait till the evening, and then finally, after seven full days of this process, one is once again considered to be richly pure. Let's continue verse 20. If a person becomes unclean and does not cleanse himself, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation, for he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Obviously, this is talking about if they're unclean, don't cleanse themselves, and then go to the sanctuary. Right? If they stay at home, it's okay. But if you go to the sanctuary, if you go to the temple, in a state of uncleanliness, that means spiritual impurity, that's a problem. The sprinkling waters were not sprinkled upon him. He is unclean, and that's a problem. Okay, This shall be for them, for the Jewish people, as a perpetual statute. And the one who sprinkles the sprinkling water shall wash his clothes, and the one who touches the sprinkling water shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean one touches shall become unclean, and anyone touching him shall be unclean until evening. So if a person is unclean, impure, and they touch something, it also becomes impure. And anyone touching that, un, uh, that, that impure person becomes impure until evening, but not the seven days with the red heifer. So if a person, again, just to be very clear, if person A touches a corpse, they become the, the highest level of ritual impurity, they need the red heifer, seven days, the whole shebang. If they in turn touch, physically high-five someone else, that second person, person B, becomes impure, but only until evening they go to mikvah and they're fine. So again, the only way to get that level of the most severe impurity of seven days is direct contact with a dead body or being under the same roof as a dead body. Does that make sense? So anyone who goes to a cemetery for a funeral, walks through the graves, stands by the gravesite, becomes impure. This is what we spoke about in a previous Torah reading about the Kohen. Remember we spoke about the priest who's not supposed to go to funerals, not supposed to come in contact with a dead body? We don't want a Kohen to need to be pulled offline for seven days and need the whole red heifer situation. A Kohen is supposed to remain pure and remain plugged into the temple. A close relative, okay, that's an exception, and then you got to do what you got to do. But otherwise, stay a distance away from the dead body, from the cemetery. Okay, questions on this thus far? No questions? Okay, I want to share with you a few points, a few themes. Number one, what's the deal with the red heifer? Seems so bizarre, red, heifer, ashes, water, sprinkling. What's going on with this? Well, the Torah tells us at the beginning... This is Zot Chukat HaTorah. This is the ultimate irrational or super rational mitzvah. As King Solomon said, I could figure out every mitzvah except for this one. This is the one that baffled me. Nonetheless, I want to give some insight. It's not my own. It's from the mystical sources. Now, it's not necessarily going to explain the mitzvah in all of its details. 
but at least it's a theme that perhaps might resonate. And it goes back to a story that the Midrash tells us. The Midrash says that when God told Moses about all of the different forms of impurity, ritual impurity, every time God told Moses about an impurity, God told Moses the resolution to that impurity. So you become impure this way, this is what you should do to get out of it. That way, that way. Except when it came to the impurity of coming in contact with human death. God told Moses just the impurity and did not offer the resolution, the red heifer that we spoke about today. And the Midrash says that Moses said, okay, so one becomes impure if one comes in contact with a dead body. But what's the purification? God was silent. And the Midrash says that Moses, upon not getting an answer from God, his face went white. And it was only much later, or at some later point, that God taught Moses the laws that we're studying right now about the red heifer, which is the laws about how to purify from coming in contact with a dead body. So the Rebbe spoke about this Midrash. And the Rebbe spoke about this Mitzvah. And the Rebbe asked the obvious question. If God had an answer, if God has a resolution, if God has a purification ritual up his sleeve, so why didn't God communicate that to Moses right away like every other type of impurity? Every other type of impurity, God said, this is the problem, this is the solution. When it came to come in contact with a dead human body, God just gave the problem and not the solution until much later. But if God had a solution that he was going to give later, why didn't he give it right away? And why does Moses' face change colors? That seems a bit of an odd reaction. Why not just press, you know, ask again or walk away? Why, is, why does his face change colors? So the Rebbe said this, and I believe it was following the passing of his wife, Rebbe Zinchaya Mushka. The Rebbe's wife passed away a number of years ago, um, in the late 1980s. And I believe this, the Rebbe taught this idea in conjunction with after her passing or with the Shloshim, the 30 days after her passing, in some sort of conjunction with her passing. Essentially, Moses wasn't just asking for the technical resolution. Moses was asking for a deeper resolution. When one comes in contact with human death, with the loss of a loved one, how does one recover from losing a loved one? That's the question. When, when Moses says, how does one become purified from coming in contact with human death, what it really means is how does one recover from the loss of a loved one? How do you deal? How do you deal with the hole, with the void, with the pain, with the loss of losing a beloved person? And God is silent. God does not respond. And in that moment, Moses' face turns colors. It goes white. 
Because Moses, the answer, essentially what God is saying is, I don't have an answer for you. When a person, God forbid, loses a loved one, there's nothing that can fill that hole. There's nothing that fills that void. There's no answer. There's no resolution. That loved one is no longer here. And that pain never goes away. And so when it comes to other forms of impurity, God has an answer. A problem, a resolution right away. But when it comes to the loss of a loved one, our loved ones, human loss, there's no risk. God does not respond. And Moses' face turns white, recognizing that even God is acknowledging that you can't replace a human being. You can't just hit a button and fill the void. So then what are we learning about the red heifer? It's only later that God shows Moses what to do after. Not resolving the loss, but what to do. You take the ashes and you mix it with fresh living spring water and life must go on. Ashes represent death. Water represents life. And the message is that from the ashes, there must be water once again. That from the loss, those who remain behind must, con must continue living. Of course, there is Shiva and Shloshim and the first year. Of course, there are stages of mourning and stages of grieving. But at some point, and for, and for everybody, it, it comes at a different point in time. At some point, the Torah's message is, with the red heifer, from the ashes, we need to resume living. Not, not that that fills the void. Remember, God never answered Moses. God never gave a quick, oh, a person loses a loved one, here's what you do. There's no quick and easy resolution. Even the red heifer is not a resolution as much as it is a response. At some point, we're called upon to keep on living, to keep on going, even when it may seem impossible without that person who is dear to us. So we lose a loved one, God forbid. And we wonder, how can we go on? And even God says, I don't have an answer. But at some point, God says, the mandate is that we must nonetheless go on. And that's the symbolism, according, as the Rebbe said, the symbolism of mixing the ashes with the water, the death with the life. That from the loss, we must keep on going, even as impossible as it sounds. This is Judaism's. This is the Torah's very compassionate and real understanding of death, and the very compassionate and understanding charge and, and call for us to keep on going. It's not, ah, no big deal, keep on going. No, it is a big deal. Nonetheless, keep on going because we must, because that is what we are called upon to do. Does that make sense? Very, very powerful words of the Rebbe on this topic. There's one That's other... Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to share one other idea trying to remember what it was, regarding the red heifer. So we spoke about the ashes and the water. Oh, one, one more thing that I want to mention. The Rebbe says, also, beautiful insight. 
that look what happened. Somebody was in need of purification because they came in contact with a dead body. And then the Kohen prepares it. And in the process of helping someone else, what happens to them? They become impure. Now, not the same level, obviously. That would create that infinite loop. But for one day, at least, they became impure. The Rebbe says, we ought to be there for the other, even if it costs us spiritually. Even if it takes us down a spiritual notch. The Kohen could have said, I should help out that guy with the red heifer, with preparing it. I'm going to become impure. And I'm a Kohen. I'm not supposed to become impure. The Torah says, do it. Become impure for someone else. That means, again, conceptually in our lives, be willing, be ready, be able, be prepared to take a hit to help someone else out. To take a step back, to take a step down in order to help someone else, to put someone else before ourselves. The Rebbe also points out that the one actually applying the sprinkling waters to the person who needs it does not become impure. Only their clothes are washed, but the Torah does not say, I can pull it up in a second, the Torah does not say that they immerse their body in the, in the, in the mikvah. Only their clothes become impure, but not they. It's the person who burned the cow, slaughtered the cow, burned the cow, gathered the ashes. Those three people become impure in the preparation process. But the fourth Kohen, the one who actually administers the sprinkling water to the person, does not become impure. And the Rebbe says, when we are involved hands-on with someone else, when we are actually connecting and helping someone else out, we don't even get impure. So yeah, in, pre pre in preparation for helping someone, we might take a step back to help them, which we should do. But when we're actually communicating, sharing, giving to the other, we're never losing out in the process. Again, just some insights to the Rebbe on this mitzvah. I'm going to try to share my screen. Give me a second here. Okay. Let's continue inside. Okay, more complaints, just in case you were wondering. I mean, I wonder if we can... No, you know what? Let's, let's save this for tomorrow. We'll get a running start. We'll do tomorrow. We'll do from Numbers chapter 20. And then we'll continue into, this, into the third reading. We're going it, to... Be, it'll be fun. We'll, uh, we'll st fun. It's a complaint and a plague, so whatever. However fun that could be. But we're going to start over here. Just to let you know, the people are going to complain that they had no water. Um, Miriam passes away. There's no water. The people complain, they quarrel with Moses, and this is going to be where the rock, I don't want to give too much away, this is where Moses hits the rock. Remember this? Moses hits the rock to produce the water, and then God tells him, you can't go into the land of Israel. I've said too much. I've said too much. Spoilers have been shared for tomorrow. Join me tomorrow as we learn about Miriam's passing, the sister of Moses and Aaron, her passing, the water crisis, and the resolution that happens with Moses hitting the rock and the big price that Moses pays for that. Okay, so that concludes today. Any questions, comments, thoughts? No? Okay. Donna? 
Wait, hold on. You got to unmute. You were just saying right before you ended that if you attempt to help someone else, then you don't become ritually impure. If you're, when you're preparing the red heifer, you become impure. But when you're applying the red heifer, you don't become impure. So the Rebbe says that when did I say that you should be willing to take a step down to help someone else out? That's not, that's even, that's just preparing it. But when you're actually, let's say, learning with someone or giving to someone or spending time with someone that needs it, you're never actually taking a step down. You never actually become impure in that process. Maybe in preparing for that, it could cost us something, you know, whatever that means. But in actually doing it, it's only a blessing for us. It never, never comes at a cost. I this wanted to mention, you yeah. know, last, since we've been talking about the Rebbe and, mitzvahs yes. and the mitzvah tanks. So one of my fondest memories is, you know, when I was at my mother's bedside in the hospital. And I took a break. It was Mount Sinai in New York. And I took a break and got some air outside. And there was, um, there was, you know, some folks with the mitzvah tank for the esrog and the yeah. lulah. And I asked them to come to the hospital room and shake it for my mother, and they did. Amazing. Yeah. Wow, I just got chills. I didn't know that story. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Where is Mount Sinai Hospital again? It's like Upper East Side, like in the 90s. Okay. Side of the Central Park. Amazing. Wow. So there were Chabad guys right there for the holiday of Sukkot. It wasn't right next door. I mean, okay. you had to walk a bit. Got it. Was it. Like a park. Got it. Okay. You know, so I don't think my mother was the state that she could realize what was going on. Right. But it made you feel better. You know, yeah. and I think somehow she knew. Uh, deep down. For sure. Her soul, her neshama for sure knew. Yeah. I mean, that's that. I, I never knew this story. This is the first time I hear this story. That's an amazing story that you gave your mother and her neshama, her soul, the opportunity to do a mitzvah like that. That's amazing. Especially we learned about the, the, the power of the. Of the of the etrog yesterday, Malchut, this yeah. beautiful energy, beautiful. And they walked wow. all the way over with you know to the hospital this night. Yeah, those Chabad guys. I, I didn't, they didn't come to me and said, "Excuse me, are you Jewish?" I went to them and I said, <laughs> <laughs> "I need your help." Yeah. Amazing. The Rebbe's vision was, and and what you're saying is exactly what I was thinking as I was saying all this, like. The Rebbe was all about be there for someone else. Stop thinking only about yourself, which is, first of all, like such a breath of fresh air. No one, I mean, people say it, but no one really means it. But the Rebbe was like, his life was dedicated to that. His life was dedicated to others. And all he wanted was for all of us to be dedicated to each other. That's it. It was like, just be there for someone else. Don't think about yourself. Oh, how much time is it going to cost me? How much money is it going to cost me? You know, I have other things that are really important for me to do. Sure, you'll do it. Maybe you won't do it. It's okay also. Even the coin became impure for a day, but it was worth it to help someone else out. And ultimately, if you really do it, if you really achieve it, you're not even going to lose anything. That's the beauty of it. The Rebbe said, like, if you take off time from your Torah study to help someone do a mitzvah, like shake the Lulav and Esrog, you're not losing out on Torah study time. Because the less amount of time that you're studying, you'll learn faster and deeper than all of the other hours that you would have done. Why? Because Hashem will bless you with that. It'll become, you know, like uh, laundry detergent. You know, you could get, like, they used to have, like, 
Now, whatever. They have concentrator. You put in a little bit and it gets your, your clothes clean. So it's, it'll be, just be more concentrated. Or for example, with money. So, oh, if I give money, I'm not gonna have the money. But we don't control where the money goes. You and I know that, you know, God forbid, you know, somebody could have money and the next second the money goes or God forbid something happens and the money needs to be spent on something that we would rather not spend it on, right? God forbid medical bills, God forbid, you know, some, an accident. Again, God forbid. So we're not ultimately in control of what happens to our resources. We think we're in control. We make all these calculations. If I don't do this or if I do that, then I'll be okay. God's still running the show. So if we're doing, if we're keeping our end of the deal, God's got our back. I'm not going to say the other, I'm not, I'm not, doom, I'm not dooming and glooming the other way. But we, we have this assurance from Torah and from the Rebbe that if we're, if we're there for someone else, we're not going to lose out. May it be so in our lives. May we be dedicated and selfless and loving and really value the other. And a world in which people take care of each other is a world I could speak for myself, a world that I would love to live in. That's a really cool world. All right. Thank you all for joining. It's great to see you from far and near. Matt, I don't think I welcomed you. Matt, good to see you. Um, thank you. Wait, a quick uh, question yes. regarding uh, the Kabbalah and coffee. Is sure. there plans to go back in person? Eventually? Yes, July. 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 The plan is in July we'll be back. So we'll send out some exciting announcements. The plan is we'll do we'll 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 um, we'll be doing a hybrid like have an online option as well um, because there are people that are joining us from out of town and and even locally who would prefer whatever, you know, just to, to join online, but we'll be back in person July. Stay tuned for the date and but but next month. Last night because there was still separation. Yeah. There was still some distancing. Yes. The, the seating. Yeah, we're gonna look at that to figure out the best way to set up the room. Um, I think you know the the old like around the table, shoulder to shoulder. I'm pretty sure we're gonna modify that because that's not gonna. Be, uh, what I what I envision is more of a. Remember the old JLI setups upstairs in the show where there were different tables spread out and a few chairs per table. So maybe something like that, or like we've been doing in Jeff's place, like something for JLI, something like that where it's kind of more like front facing and able to be spread out. I think that's the that's the, the, the vision for it. Was good too, yeah. yeah, oh, it was really nice. My kids are always complaining about our house that it's not like crisp enough. Um, it was re yeah, it was really yeah, we keep it like that now so that it really is is pumping. I mean it turned off for a little bit, maybe a minute a few minutes in between. But that thing was going. The front of the door was open. So I think it was open. It should have been open. Um, anyway. Okay, good. All right, well, we'll see you guys. Matt and Donna, I, th I guess uh, Ray and Joy jumped off. But we'll see you guys tonight, tonight for Hebrew, tomorrow for DPP. Nice. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. All right, we'll see you guys. Have a wonderful day. Take care. All right, bye.